You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. I'm going to invite uh, a beautiful Olivet to come and read Ephesians chapter 3 for us. Why don't you appreciate Olivet as she comes to pray? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirits of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Olivet. Now, without further ado, why don't you put your hands together and give him a very special welcome, Dr. John Andrews. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. It is wonderful to be back in, uh, in Coventry and CLM and to share a bank holiday weekend. And it is so wonderful to see so many people on a bank holiday weekend. And uh, thank you for staying. Um, So that's great. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And it has just been an absolute joy to be with you. You've been so well looked after. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you to pastors uh, Martin and Esther for trusting me with the platform while they're on holiday. Ooh, come on. Let's have some fun, shall we? Uh, No, 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 let's not. Um, So it is my absolute joy and privilege to continue the series that we've been going through in the book of Ephesians. If you've missed any of this series, you can get it on podcast. 
and catch up with that. And as has been brilliantly read to us uh, for, by all of that, we are in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And, uh, and so we want to look today, in a sense, at the framework of the kingdom. So, so how we as believers can take the kingdom of God uh, to our world. Now, I don't know about you, but in my experience, and this is purely anecdotal, so I've no stats to back this up. It's just my impression from my years in the church and traveling up and down the country and around the world is that many Christians struggle with the tension between the church and the kingdom. So, so even this morning, we've used interchangeable language, which you, you may or may not have noticed. So we've, we've prayed for the church. We've also prayed for the kingdom to come. So, so which is it? So, so sometimes we use language. We were praying this morning before the service began upstairs. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done because that's what Jesus taught us to pray. And yet there is this tension. Well, which bits the church and which bits the kingdom and how do they work together? So if I'm bringing the kingdom or if the kingdom's coming to commentary, well, how does that relate to the church? How, how does the church do that? When does the kingdom become the church and when does the church carry the kingdom? Do you know what I mean? All of those things are going on. And in fact, we see this, this tension even in the New Testament. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have there an obsession with the kingdom of God. Jesus, in his preaching, almost exclusively preaches on the kingdom. It's his number one subject. He mentions it a lot in his teaching and his parables. And even when he heals people, he says the kingdom has come in those moments. He only references what we call the church twice in his teaching. Matthew 16, I will build my church. And in Matthew 18, a sort of a reference to how to solve disputes within a local Christian community. When you leave the Gospels and you move into what we call the epistles or the letters of the New Testament, it's almost reversed. The obsession is the church. And we talk all the time about the church and the kingdom's sort of mentioned, but it, it seems to be in the background a little bit uh, with that. In fact, the book of Ephesians, we, we may call the book of Ephesians the manifesto of the church. If you wanted a strong theology of church, the book of Ephesians is where you would start in the New Testament. It's a magnificent summary of what the church actually is. And so for many Christians, we sort of use the terms, and we just hope no one's really going to quiz us on that and check us out, like what's the difference between the two. But it's really important for us, because the language is important, but not just the language, the reality of those two things is important for us if we're going to reach our world and see our world change by the power of God. So to help us with that, it's really important to look at definitions. Because understanding what they are helps us to understand how they're different and then helps us to understand how they work together. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I really understand what the church is and I have a good understanding of what the kingdom is, I can see how they operate distinctly and yet I can see how they work together. And that's what really this series is all about for us. So let's start with some definitions then. Church. Well, the, 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 the Bible language word for church is ecclesia which broken down literally means out to call. So it's the idea that the church, the word that we use, has at its heart this, this image that we are a called community. All right? So that's the idea of church, uh, that actually we are a distinct 
community. And we're built around a distinct confession. And the confession of the church is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. So, so that's what makes us part of the church. We're not born into the church. We don't join the church. We are called into this community supernaturally. But, but when, when we look at the church, it is a distinct community, all right? So it's not just a sort of a, a weird concept. It's a distinct gathered community of people. Does that make sense? The word for kingdom Basileia in the language of the New Testament points not so much to a community, but to a domain, an influence, a, a region, a realm, okay? So, so it can literally point to the realm that a king rules over, but it really points to a, a, a domain, as it were, uh, that's broad and far-reaching. So, so in kingdom and church, you get two very different ideas. One is a distinct community, and the other one is a wider domain, okay? So hold that idea. We'll pull all of these together in a wee moment. Second thing to realize is this, that actually we come into the church via an inward call. So, so you don't join the church. You're called to the church. That's why it's called church, ecclesia, because at the heart of the idea of this community is a distinct call. So, so we don't just rock up the CLM and say, oh, fancy joining here. Now, what we mean by that is we're joining this local expression of church. But, but you don't join the church. You are called into the church. And that call happens by being, hearing the voice of Jesus and coming to a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the kingdom, on the other hand, is an outward influence. So if the church is an inward call, calling to a community inwardly, then the kingdom of God is an outward influence. The idea of this kingdom is that it's here to influence the world around it and to touch it. So actually, God can influence the world without that world being in the church. Okay? So, so, so you've got the, the wider influence of the kingdom of God. So if it's possible today that someone could go around all the churches of Coventry and literally give us a number at the end of the day and say uh, there are X amount of Christians in Coventry. Not just people who attend church, but people who actively follow Jesus. So we could, theoretically, we could find that number. However, what's much harder to quantify is the influence of the kingdom of God through that community. Because it's done in millions of different ways, through personal experience, through programs, through feeding the poor, through cat programs, through schools and, and, and colleges. It's done a million ways. And it's really hard to quantify the influence of the kingdom. And that's the, that's the tension there. There's a real number when it comes to the church, but there's a sort of a hard, hard to grab number when it comes to the kingdom of God. Stay with me. Here's another wee idea that might help you. And this isn't very popular today, uh, this word coming up. But, but the church is exclusive. Now, I don't mean by that elite or uh, discriminatory. So, so, so stay with me. But in a pluralist world, this word exclusive isn't very popular. But, but the idea of the church is it's exclusive. You're sort of, now forgive me, but you're sort of in or you're not. All right? 
So, so if we go back, if it's a community that you're called to, well, you've either had that call and you're in that community, or you haven't had that call and you're not in the community. Now, that doesn't mean we're elite or snobbish or discriminatory, where we look down our noses at people who haven't had that call. It means there is an exclusiveness to the church, which we can't do anything about. You're either in the family or you're not. Are you with me? Okay. Now, however, the kingdom of God, goodness me, that's inclusive. That just throws its arms open to everybody, and everybody and anybody can experience the blessing of the kingdom of God that comes to them. Are you, are you, are you there? So, so actually, that's an important tension for us to understand. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter 6, feeds the multitude. I mean, fills their bellies full of food, and they're all loving it. And then he stands up, and just as they're digesting their, 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 their dessert, and he says, by the way, if you want to be part of my group, part of my team, part of my community, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The exits are here, 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 and here. And as you can imagine, people head for the exits. Why wouldn't you? I mean, lunch is great. Cannibalism, I'm not quite sure I'm into that. Okay, I think I'll leave that to the side. Okay, so I'm into the church, but, but, or, 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 or this idea of being fed, but I'm not into this idea of eating you. Now, that's the tension of the church. Jesus then turns to his core group, his community, his church, and he says to them, do you want to go as well? You can, you can go as you, if you want. And Peter turns to Jesus and says this, where could we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now note that. That's really important in John 6. Peter doesn't say, you're a cool miracle maker. He says, you have words. Now, now that's the distinction right there. Peter is staying not for the packed lunch. He's staying because of the words of Jesus. He's staying because Jesus is the Son of God. He's staying because he's had some sort of insight who Jesus is. So even though the crowds are leaving, he's staying. And that's the tension. The crowds got their belly filled and went, don't want to eat him, I'm off. That's the kingdom. The kingdom blesses people whether they join or not. The kingdom blesses people whether they think that was nice or not. The people, uh, the, the, the kingdom gives itself away. It's inclusive. Everybody, anybody, whatever their background, their gender, their persuasion, their sexuality, will and is open to the kingdom of God. But where the rubber hits the road is when we're being called to move from enjoying a packed lunch to enjoying him. That's church and kingdom right there. You with me? Okay. Almost there in terms of just, just setting this up for us, and then we'll look at some ideas. It, it, when it comes to church and kingdom, it's, when you're in the church, you're in the kingdom, but it's possible to be influenced by the kingdom and not in the church. All right? That's really important. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in the kingdom, and the Bible would say the kingdom's in you. But, but it's possible to be influenced and touched by the kingdom, using our John 6 analogy, have your belly filled with food and say, stuff God. So you still get blessed by the kingdom, but you're not in the church. And that happens a lot. Jesus healed 10 lepers in Luke 17. One came back glorifying God and went away whole. The other nine took their healing and cleared off. 
but the stead healed. Because that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom, you see? And if we can grasp that, it'll help us tremendously in our schools, our colleges, our universities, our streets, our communities, wherever we go. Because it's not your job to grow the church. It's your job to share the kingdom. Only Jesus can grow the church. Why? Because the church grows through a supernatural call. Well, I'm just a bloke. I can't give you that supernatural call. But what I can do is bring the kingdom in front of you in the hope that your heart will be open to hear a call. That's my job. His job is to grow his church. And, and this is the final we thought I want to bring to you before I, I give you sort of three ideas around this. The church is the vehicle of the kingdom. So how does the kingdom come to the world? The kingdom comes to the world through his church, through his community. In the same way that the kingdom came to the world through Jesus, God's word in flesh, the kingdom of God comes to Coventry, not by an SAS squad of angels, but through me and you. So when we go to college, the kingdom comes. When we go to uni, the kingdom's coming. When we go to work, the kingdom's coming. When we reach out to our neighbors, the kingdom's coming. When we feed the poor, the kingdom comes. When we reach out to the broken, the kingdom comes. When we help people out of debt, the kingdom comes. So, so the kingdom is coming through the vehicle of the church. But here's the incredible thing. The kingdom is bigger than the church. So actually... Who knows the influence we are having in our world and in this city right now because we can't always see what the kingdom's doing. I love what Jesus said. He says, the kingdom of God is like a little yeast worked into the dough. And as long as you work it in all the way in, you leave it, that yeast will eventually take over the whole lump. And that's the power of the kingdom. We can't always see what Jesus is doing through his kingdom, but it's our job to take it to our world and then let the kingdom of God do its work. Let it flow, let it work in our world. Does that make sense? One analogy that might help you a little bit, after, after service today, you, you might be going to have lunch back at home or, or, or out somewhere with your family. So maybe you've got your, literally your biological family with you uh, and you are having dinner with them. But because of your wonderful generosity, you invite four or five other people to your home as well who are not part of your family and they come and enjoy the food. Now, as you're gathered around your dinner table, that's church and kingdom right there. So, so church, metaphorically, is your biological family because they're the ones who have the right to be at the table because they're in your family. But the guests, that's the kingdom, all right? You've invited them into your world. You're sharing of your generosity. You're sharing of your culture and life. You're giving something to them. Whether they pay you or not, whether they like it or not, whether they talk about it in good terms or not, you're sharing yourself with them so that they can be blessed. They may want to stay because it's so good. Who knows? That's the compliment. Or they may think to themselves, thank God that's over. Let's get out. Yeah? But actually, actually, that's sort of the tension we face with our world. There's a sense in which in Coventry, the family is opening up their table. And the family's saying, we're blessed by Jesus. We're in his family. We've been set free. But we don't want to keep all of this to ourselves. We want to share this with our world. Some people we share our table with will go, love this. This is great. Can you give me the recipe? 
Can you tell me more? Can you take me further? And that's where, wow, yes, we want to introduce them to Jesus. Some people will share our table and go, don't like that. Hate that. Never coming back to that. Yes, are you with me? And so actually, actually, that's, that's at the heart of what we are doing. My job is to open up my table. My job is to take whatever Jesus has done for me and share it with my world and give it to them. And, and actually then it's Jesus' job, if I can say that reverently, to then take what I've shared and hopefully call those people to him. Some of you are beating yourselves up because you've shared your table and nobody's come. Yeah? Well, keep sharing your table. Keep giving the kingdom away. Keep sharing your heart. Keep being generous. Keep, keep giving. Keep doing the right thing because that's the kingdom of God. And you don't know where that will end up. You don't know what that will achieve. You don't know what Jesus will do with that down the road. But just keep sharing and giving the kingdom away. And then let Jesus do the rest. Amen? Amen. Amen. Be encouraged. So, uh, so uh, to help us do that, there, there are three ideas within, within Ephesians chapter 3. I'm just going to touch on really quickly to help this idea of how you and I as the church can carry the kingdom. Is that okay? Yeah. And then, and then we're, we're done. Okay. Here's the, first, here's the first idea in Ephesians chapter 3. It's the manifestation of God's wisdom. The manifestation of God's wisdom, okay? So uh, here I am, member of the family, uh, being asked by Jesus to share the kingdom. So how do I do that? Well, one of the ways I do that is by taking his wisdom to my world. Look at what it says for us in these verses. Verses 10 and 11 of Ephesians chapter 3, coming up on the screen. His intent was it now through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, now look, look close at those words. His intent was it now through the, through the, okay, you with me? Sure? All right. Through the, okay, a few more. Right, through the church. So, uh, not, not through some, some weird program through you, through you. And what's coming through you, through me? The manifold wisdom of God. God wants to get his wisdom to the world. How does he choose to do that? Amazingly, incredible, through you, through me. He wants our world to see his wisdom through us. What an incredible idea that is. Now, now we break that down a wee bit. What's wisdom here? Well, the most simplest definition I can give you is wisdom is the way God thinks. So what we're trying to do as God's family, as the people who have the right to be around the dinner table, we're trying to take the way he thinks to our world, which thinks very differently. So our world may not like some of the ways God thinks. But it's our job not to worry about what they will think about what God thinks. It's our job to take to them what God thinks as compassionately and love-filled as we possibly can. And the major way we get God's wisdom is through his word. If you want to find out how God thinks, my goodness, we, we've got a book here that will give you how God thinks. 
And if you want to, and I want to be a, a wise person and a person bringing his wisdom to our world, we, we, we need to engage with this book. I know it sounds sort of simple, and I'm not trying to pressure anybody into a guilt trip on this, but if, but if we don't engage with the book, we're not giving ourselves the chance to hear his wisdom. If we're not giving ourselves a chance to hear his wisdom, then actually we end up thinking like the planet, but with a sort of a spiritual coat on. So we're not really different from them. We've just got a different jacket. Yes? They've got a blue jacket. We've got a red jacket. That's it. That's the only difference. But when your mind is changed by the wisdom of God, you don't just put on a different jacket. You become a different person. You're thinking completely differently. You're thinking God's way. And God wants to get his wisdom to his world. How does he do that? Well, it's this idea of manifold. Beautiful word here. In, in the language of the New Testament, it literally is two words jammed together, which means much diverse. That's the idea of the word. So in other words, it's, it's this diversity of the community that God uses to show his wisdom to the world. What an incredible idea that is. Uh, here's a picture coming up that might help a little bit but we've got uh, multicolored telephone boxes on the screen. Now, they're all telephone boxes. In one sense, they're all the same, and yet every telephone box is a different color. So they're the same, but they're different. Instantly recognizable, but presenting themselves in a different way. That's the idea here. God has one idea of wisdom. He, he, you know, he's got... He's got his wisdom, his way of thinking, but he presents his way of thinking to the world through different colored telephone boxes. Through me and you. Our world and religion in its worst form tries to make everybody the same when God has worked very, very hard to make everybody different. And the reason God makes everybody different is because he wants an expression of his wisdom to our world through a multiplicity of different eye, uh, expressions and ideas. So, so if you've got, literally, multicolored, if you've got black skin, God can bring his wisdom to your world through that skin. If I've got white skin, he brings his wisdom to that world through white. If I'm a man, a woman, if I'm married or single, if I'm young or I'm old, it doesn't matter. God can use who I am to bring his wisdom to the world. It's not like there's a cookie cutter here and we've all got to follow the same template. The idea is the church gets his wisdom and then we show that wisdom through the multicoloredness, the diversity of the Christian community. And that makes our reach greater. If the only way to, 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 to reach the world was through my shape, my goodness, there'd be like half a dozen people. But actually, he wants to reach the world through all of our shapes and touch them with his wisdom. So, so whatever shape you are, whatever color telephone box you are, you can take his wisdom to the world and touch the world. So the church brings the wisdom of God. When they look at the church, the world should see the wisdom of God. And that's God's plan. That's what he wants. That's what he's excited about. His intent is that through the church. So he wants the world to look at us and go, oh, that's what God's wisdom looks like. Are you with me? So if we are to live the kingdom, we need to know his wisdom. Really quickly and secondly, 
And it's this idea. So we need a manifestation of God's wisdom. Secondly, there's the idea of the revelation of Christ's love. You still with me? Okay, stay with me. We're nearly there. The revelation of Christ's love. Look at these words found in 17 and 19 of chapter 3. Come on up on your screen. So read them as we go through. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. So here's, here's Paul, here's what he's saying. I want you to grasp this love. Now, there's a weird contradiction in the verse if you've, if you've noticed it. He says, I want you to grasp and know this love which surpasses knowledge. Did you notice that? See, I, I notice stuff like I'm thinking, that's weird, hold on a minute. How can I know something that surpasses knowledge? Yeah. Got to ask questions when you read the Bible. All right, so what, what? Paul's saying to me, grasp. And the idea behind this, this uh, is this extravagant dimensions of Christ's love, as the message puts it. But Paul says, I want you to grasp the extravagance of his love. I want you to grasp the dimensions that are high and wide and deep and long. I want you to grasp something that can't be grasped. What? So what's Paul saying here? How can we grasp the extravagant dimensions of his love. Well, the word there for grasp literally means to take hold of, to apprehend, to find. It's, it's a bold word. It's an audacious word. It's a word that actually shows a level of passion and enthusiasm to grab a hold of something because it's important. And Paul is saying when it comes to the revelation of Jesus' love, this is something you can't just be casual about. He wants us to grasp it. Like, like our lives depend on it. Grab a hold of it and don't let it go. But John, how can I grasp something that can't be known? Well, this is the second prayer of Paul in Ephesians. If you've been following the series, then chapter one, you have one of Paul's great prayers, his opening prayer to the, to the church at Ephesus. Chapter three is his second main prayer in that book. And when we go to the first prayer, Paul prays something really spectacular. In verse 17 of chapter 1, he prays this. I pray, praying for the church, that you will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay? So he's praying, and Ephesus was a great church already. So he's praying, there's one thing I want you to have. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, why do I want you to have that? He says this, so that you may know Jesus better. So he makes a link between revelation and truly knowing something. So knowing here means you really know, you know, you know, you know, you know. You know. You really know it. Why? Because it's become real to you. So it's not just an idea. It's not a sermon. It's not a slogan on a, on a wall. It's real to you. If you had to, you'd put your mortgage on it. You'd bet your life on it. And that's the problem with lots of gorgeous Christians filling the church today. They know conceptually about the love of Jesus, but have had to put their life on it or their mortgage on it, they'd hesitate. Why? Because it's an idea that we like, but many of us don't grasp it, if we're honest. If we're honest. That's not to make anybody feel bad, it's just the truth, isn't 
And then Paul, the second part of the prayer, he says, I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Why? So that you may know the hope to which you've been called. Same idea. So he sort of repeats the one prayer twice. I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? To know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. Why? So that you will know the hope to which you're called. Now, Paul's doing something here for us, which is really important for chapter 3. So when he says to us, grasp, he doesn't just mean learn, fill your head with information about the love of Jesus. He's saying, if you're going to know what can't be known, you need his revelation. You need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You need to have your hearts open to something deeper and bigger beyond your intellect. That's the idea. It can't just be learned in children's church. It can't just be learned in a Bible study. It is, it is something that has to be received. And that's why it is so powerful. Why is this important to Paul? Because he's teaching us this. When you grasp the unknowable, when you grasp what cannot be known, it changes your view of God. It changes your view of yourself. And it changes your view of your world. When we truly grasp that we are loved, not, not, well, John said I'm loved. No, no, that's not grasping. Well, my daddy told him, uh, you know, was loved. No, no, that's not grasping. Well, well, the pastor says I'm loved. That's not, it's when you know, you know, you know, you know, I am loved. That grasping that comes by revelation has the power to change the way we see our God, ourselves, and our world. That's why Paul wants the church at Ephesus to get it, because here's what he thinks. Here's what he's saying. He said, if you get this, it will help you take the kingdom to the world. It'll help you. Help you do it. Amen? So if we are to live the kingdom, we need to see his love. Now, I'm conscious of the time. Have I got two more minutes to finish this last one? You guys okay? All right, here we go. Here we go. Last one. You're doing great. Right then. So, Paul wants us, in, in taking the kingdom to our world, he wants us to get a manifestation of God's wisdom. He wants us to try and get a revelation of Christ's love. We'll tie all this together at the end. And then he wants us, as it were, to have this demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now look at this. In verses 20 to 21, coming up on your screen again, so you can look at it, and it says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look at the words there. For him who's able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine according to what? His power what? That is at work. Where? Within you. Not some, some weird conceptual thing. The power of God that can help us achieve unimaginable things is already at work within 
us. I am so delighted that Jesus didn't say to his young fledgling church, just go into the world and hope for the best, but he said to them, receive the power of the Spirit so that they could go in a power that is beyond any human natural ability to do a dynamic supernatural work. I still meet Christians today and they want to argue with me, bless their hearts, that we do not need the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts form. And I look around at my world and I look around at the desperation of my world and the desperation of my society and what seems to be a rapidly deteriorating planet on which we're living on. Days that aren't always wonderful. And I think if ever I needed the power of the Holy Spirit, it is now. My goodness, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, didn't do any miracles before he got the Holy Spirit, and if the church was told, do not do not leave Jerusalem until the power comes. Well, if they needed the Holy Spirit, I'm just thinking, it's a simple logic, ladies and gentlemen. And, and people play theological gymnastics with this. And all the while, our world is lost. That when we've reached the world and saved everybody, and let's talk about the theology of whether we need the Holy Spirit or not. But listen, if we're going to reach the world, we need his power. Why? Why? Because the kingdom is a supernatural kingdom. It's not just a club on the move. It is a supernatural kingdom carried by a supernatural people representing a supernatural Lord who need a supernatural power. And without the power, we cannot reach our world. Gorgeous cars are sitting in the car park. Ladies and gentlemen, if you get out there and you forgot to fill up your tank with petrol, it doesn't matter how lovely and gorgeous and clean and sexy your car is, if there's no fuel in the tank, it isn't going anywhere. Now you can sit in it and pretend. And everybody will think you're weird, you've been in the sun too long. And we can sit there and pretend, isn't this gorgeous, isn't this cool, isn't this great? No! Because cars weren't designed to make you look good. Cars weren't designed to look good. Cars were designed to do one thing. Take us from A to B. And we need fuel in the tank for that to happen. Don't we? The church is designed for one thing. To display the manifold wisdom of God to the world. That's our one thing. Our one thing is to say, this is what Jesus looks like. Our one thing is to take Jesus to our world and represent him to our world and say to our world, this is the greatest thing in the universe. That's our one thing. And to do that one thing, we need the Holy Spirit. But that requires humility. Humility that says of our self-sufficiency. We can't do it. That's hard for a human. Hard for humans to say, I can't do this on my own. But we can't do it on our own. We can't reach Coventry without the Holy Spirit. We can't do what exactly he wants us to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says, I'm praying that for you, that you will have this power that is at work within you. So if we are to live the kingdom, we need to have his power. So let me conclude with this thought and I'm gonna pray. We could ask the question, what is kingdom living? 
Kingdom living, ladies and gentlemen, is when the called out community of Christ lives out the core principles of the king. That's kingdom living. So, so what does that mean? It means me and you understanding there's a higher wisdom. And our world won't just be changed by great arguments. They'll be changed by the wisdom of God. It's me and you understanding that the love of God, the love of Jesus, is one of the greatest forces of transformation and change in the universe. And that actually, when a man and woman gets that sight, that has the power to change them completely. It's me and you recognizing as the community that if we're going to carry the kingdom consistently to Coventry and to the nations of the world, we need some fuel in our tank. We need more than just good ideas and good programs. We need power. We need power. And when the gathered community understand that they need wisdom, love, and power, and when we go after wisdom, love, and power, I believe with all of my heart we are tapping into the very core of God's plan for our lives to help us as a gathered community to carry Jesus to our world. I'm going to ask the band to join us. We're going to, going to finish with a song, and then our service is over. But before we go, I want to pray for you. Not, not making any uh, big appeal. I simply want to uh, pray for each one of us that actually there would be an understanding, a, a, a realization in our heart that if we're going to be serious about living kingdom, because it's, cool, it's a cool series, this, cool titles, great slogans, great phrases, but we don't want it to remain just great, cool stuff on a keynote slide. If we're really serious about going to our college and uni and school and workplace and community with something of the kingdom of God, and actually, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need to think how you think. Come on, anybody with me? If, if we're going to influence our communities with the kingdom, Lord, I, I, need a, I need an ongoing, fresh revelation of your incredible love. Because if I, if I get love like, like you're describing here, then my view of you changes, my view of myself changes, and my view of my world changes. And Holy Spirit, if we're going to carry the kingdom to a broken world. We've been praying for Manchester today. We've been praying for a nation that's reeling and rocking and broken and confused. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to carry the kingdom to that world, we need power. We need some fuel in the tank. Fuel that takes us beyond just natural good ideas and into the supernatural realm of, of Peter and John saying to a man broken at a temple gate, I don't have what you want, but I have what you need. I can't give you silver or gold. I haven't got any. But what I have, the power I have, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. That, that's what my world needs. And so as the church, we want to be humble to say, Lord, we need wisdom. We need your love. We need your power. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. And in the band, are just going to lead us in a song, a final song. Thank you for listening. I know we've run over time slightly. Appreciate your patience. We really do appreciate it. And so if you are in any way responding to anything I've said in the context of his wisdom, his love, or his power, then as I pray, just 
hold your hands out in front of her. Even, even raise your hands to heaven. Holy Spirit, I pray for this wonderful Christian community. Thank you for what you are doing in this place. Thank you for the gathered family that is here. Thank you for the hundreds of people whose lives have been transformed by a call and a revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We thank you for that. But Lord, we also understand and recognize that you have called this community with other Christian communities in Coventry to carry the kingdom to this world, to carry the kingdom to our town and our city, to carry the kingdom to our communities, to carry the kingdom to college and university and school, to carry the kingdom to our workplace. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, there will be such a infusion of heavenly wisdom on this community, that, Lord, there will be a hunger within this community to know how God thinks, to want to think how God thinks. And as we think as you think, Lord, our minds will be renewed and our lives transformed. I pray that there will be a phenomenal release of revelation of the love of Jesus in this place. That every man, every woman, every boy, every girl will have a profound revelation of the love of God that transforms us in every way. That Lord, the unknowing love will become known to us because of revelation. And I pray that the eyes of hearts will be open. I pray spirit of wisdom and revelation come. And I pray that every person will grasp for themselves the power and the magnitude and the extravagant dimensions of the love of God. I pray, Lord Jesus, for this glorious church that we will be hungry for the power of the Spirit. Lord, we will not be satisfied purely with programs or with words or with ideas or with concepts. But Lord, we will seek the supernatural power of the Spirit to do a supernatural work in our community. Fill our hearts with hunger for the Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts with hunger for the power of the Spirit so that we may go into our world, not just give them what they want, but give them what they need in the name of Jesus. So may your kingdom come and may your wisdom be manifest in us. May your kingdom come and may your love be revealed in us and may your kingdom come and may your power be demonstrated in us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.